Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowen-Perks, and welcome to my favorite time of the week. Um, I'm very lucky to be here with Johnny Gray as part of the Inspiring Leadership Series. Now, Johnny, you've had um, one hell of a career, uh, both in the military and outside. Um, I, I've been very impressed as we've sort of talked through the past, and I, I served with Johnny at Staff College 25 years ago. But a, a very successful career in the Argyll and Southern Highlanders, um, where particularly one of the, the key points for me was uh, in battles in Iraq, where he personally, uh, he and his rover group were all under fire uh, in the event that got um, Johnson Bahari his VC. Um, but also, um, Johnny was one of the sort of uh, inspiring leaders, but also for me, quite an academic leader in that was given some of the more demanding army plans and, and top jobs with some of our leaders like General Richards. So from that, uh, after command, he was given a great chance to come into the consulting world in Control Risks, where we are now. Uh, and so, Johnny, just tell us a bit about that and some of uh, your leadership stories. So, so tell me a bit more about this, sort of this transition from a really good military career and, and very successful at Staff College and, and commanding your battalion, but then into the world of consulting. Well, Jonathan, thank you for inviting me to take part. I've really enjoyed this series, and, and, and uh, I, I'll leave it to others whether I'm an inspiring leader or not. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, yes, yeah, so, I, you know, I, I had 21 years in the Army. Um, very fortunate and honoured to command my regiment. Um, uh, and, and we, as you said, we, we saw um, action during, uh, you know, a tough time in the, in the Iraq War. Um, I resolved to leave after command. I think you have that choice at that stage. Um, and was very fortunate to be given the opportunity to come to work for, for Control Risk, uh, one of the world's leading business risk consulting companies. Um, and I, I think, you know, moving from one industry, if you like, the, the military one sector to, to another sector, professional services, uh, takes a lot of adjustment, and, and uh, you know we can talk more. I think about that, but for me, that was the key learning point. Since mm -hmm. I've joined Controllers 15 years ago, nearly, um, I, I, I ran its uh, consulting businesses in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Um, I then moved to the USA um, uh, and lived there for 11 years. First, first of all, running the consulting businesses there across the Americas. Uh, and then for the last five years as head of sales and marketing for the Americas, the USA being being our biggest market now. Um, and, uh, and now I'm back here. So it's, um, it's been a journey uh, back in London now. Good. And um, I was very interested in your story of, of, you know, somebody or an experience where there was some real inspiring leadership going on. What, what do you think were the qualities that stood out for you? What, what story would, would you share about yeah. inspiring leadership? Well, I, I, I first will say that I've been very lucky. You mentioned David Richards earlier on, and, and I've been very lucky to work for some fantastic leaders in, 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 the, in the army, in the Ministry of Defense. Um, I worked for Nick Carter in Iraq and, and, and just sort of excellent people. Um, 
you know, it's very difficult to single out one person, and, and the risk of being incredibly uh, embarrassing him enormously. A very sort of uh, modest man. Um, the CEO of Control Risk when I joined Richard Fenning um, uh, was absolutely for me an inspiring leader. I, I, I think uh, coming into a matrix managed professional services organisation um, was a challenge which I, I found um, you know tough to be frank. Um, and Richard inspired me, supported me, gave me some training and some opportunities to learn. And because uh, he sent you to Harvard, didn't yeah, he? went to Harvard Business School um, and uh, and uh, Institute of Directors here in the UK. Um, and that investment in me uh, as as somebody who was rough around the edges in this industry, but but he clearly saw some potential. Um, uh, and I looked to him for examples of leadership and how to lead in this environment. Um, that inspired me, yeah. and I think you know, through my early transition days, um, you know, that's what I needed to to, to really move on and, and have the career I had. Yeah, uh, that, that sort of I think we talked about before that investing in people and and you know that your leader cares about you. That's really important. I think you, having that feeling, especially when you know I, I, I led teams in in the Americas in particular, where uh, you know, my, my reports, who themselves were managing quite significant businesses, um, you know, they were often, first of all, not British, not necessarily, not, not male, um, not in my time zone. Um, so, so that idea that you, you, you take the time to understand people and their motivations, everybody has a different motivation, um, but what, what motivates people, what do they need from their, their leader, how can you help them to be successful? That, that, for me, was the key sort of thing I learned from Richard. He, he talked a lot about, in professional services, leading from the back when times are good and only leading from the front when, when you know, there's a real challenge. Yeah. And I think in the military, you're, you're programmed to lead from the front. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that is the mistake I made, is that actually that's not the role. The role is to, pr- to create the environment, to create the the opportunity for other people to be very successful yes. and to support them to be successful um, was the transition that that I, Richard, helped me with by, by looking at how he did it um, and, and one which I think, uh, and I'm sure other industries and you've spoken to some great leaders from other sectors, I think other sectors probably require slightly different styles of leadership, but certainly in professional services, global, diverse group of people, um, that that empowering and enabling whilst making sure people know you, they might be 3,000 miles away from you, but they know you understand them and what they're doing, what it takes, very important. Very important. And you've touched on it now, we've just got the last sort of minute or so, mm. but, but um, you touched on that what you got wrong and you could have done better yes. was that transition. Do you want to say a little bit more just for a short bit? Well, first of all, I think I've got a lot of things wrong with my life and leadership and it's a constant learning uh, opportunity. Um, and there'll be people watching this who will probably say, oh, you know, um, he certainly didn't have got many things wrong. Um, I think my transition, I, I, my DNA was to, to was, was to want to lead things and 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 be at the front and and that, as I said earlier, that is often not the case and not what's required. Um, and in, in in professional services where you're you you have to be a producing manager, what people want to see in their leaders is that they too 
can uh, be successful in sales or whatever it happens to be. So you're almost leading, leading by example, yes, but leading by example uh, in different ways. Yeah, yeah. And finally, um, if you were to leave everyone with a top tip uh, about good, inspiring leadership, what would your top tip be? My, my top tip is, is um, try, and, try and not think about managing people, I, I, you know, human resources. I don't see people as resources. Um, you, know, manage, you manage resources, you lead people. Uh, and I think leading, leading people, but a, a, adjusting the style of leadership to the situation you're in is the key for success. So, uh, Jonathan Bowman-Perks, welcome back to my favorite time of the week uh, on the Inspiring Leadership Extra. Uh, because Johnny and I had such an interesting earlier discussion, I've asked Johnny Gray for some more ideas on life. So, Johnny, welcome back. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, Great to be back. We were talking earlier about your life and your experiences. So, uh, take us from sort of boarding school, and we were talking about boarding school survivors, because a lot of uh, male leaders, particularly, but female leaders too, uh, went to boarding school, which in some people loved it, others had bad experiences. Um, just tell us a bit about you know your experience at boarding school, and then yes, uh, well, I I, I was uh, at a boarding school in Scotland, um, quite all boys, um, fairly fairly uh, what's the word austere, I think, yeah. very much into rugby um, and sort of outdoors and uh, activity and and what have you, and and you needed to be, as you say, a bit of a survivor at that. Um, I think, you know, I perhaps developed a character which came in handy later, is you can be different things to different people mm-hmm. um, at boarding school. And, you know, you're, you're one person to your housemaster and your teachers. You're maybe another type of person to the rugby coach and you're maybe another person to some of your friends. And, and so you, you develop slightly different personas depending on the, the situation you're in. Yeah. Um, and And I think, you know, then going from boarding school after... We're just staying with boarding school yeah, for a second. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. because it is interesting, I think, for, for those who are listening in, that, um, uh, and you're sending your own children to boarding school, that there is this fascinating book, The Making of Them, by Nick Duffel. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a number of leaders, male and female, in senior roles who've been to boarding school. And some have had some really bad experiences and had to close down in order to survive. And, and therefore... People now experience them as quite austere and quite distant because that was what happened in that era. Yeah. You were talking about how you're quite different from how you were brought up. Do you want to just say a bit about family and you know the way you're different now? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think you know it's a, perhaps a generational thing, but I you know as I was talking about you earlier on, you know, as a father, I I resolved to be much more sort of tactile. Uh, with my sons, um, and, and definitely to sort of you know when I can hug them and uh, and 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 be very clear that I absolutely love them and really mm-hmm. clear about that and uh, um, you know and I think my father was a different generation um, and you know that that, that he uh, of course had all his great strengths but I don't remember that was he in the war or thing like that no or? not particularly he just just a bit too young for that. Um, but I, I think that generation just were different, you know. And uh, uh, anyway, so it was something I resolved to do, you know, it, it, with my my sons. And mm. I, I, I think um, I feel, you know, that's been successful yeah. uh, as, a, as a father. 
So, um, finished school, yeah. went on a gap year, <laughs> gap year. Gap period. Um, okay, what did you do in your gap oh, period? Oh, I drove vans in Edinburgh. Um, I sort of did some outward band stuff. I sort of uh, I traveled a little bit, not much. Um, I didn't really make the most of it. I definitely think if you I... You had your time again? What if would you I do had my time... Well, I think I'd see more of the world and all that sort of stuff, but I, you know, I just didn't quite get around to that particularly... Um, and did you know at that time you were going to go into the army? Sort of. I, I, I think, um, yes, I sort of did. I had some friends from school who'd gone off to the army and they all seemed to be enjoying themselves. So one, one friend in particular, a chap called Mike Whitney, I remember coming back. He was stationed in Cyprus and he came back sort of, you know, tanned and full of stories about sailing and windsurfing and skiing in Trudos in the winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I did thinking, all that. I, well, exactly. And I remember thinking, oh, that, you know, that sounds good. And I don't know if you remember, there was a cinema adverts where you sort of had to spot a character called, I think he was called Fred or something. Yes. Can you spot Fred? And Fred was always skiing or hanging out with very pretty girls and, and so on. And I, I, so I remember thinking, you know, yeah, you know, I'll do <laughs> that for a bit. And, and I, was, I was going to do three years and, and then sort of, you know, Maggie's children go off and make the fortune in the city or something. So, so I went, yes, I went to Sandhurst in the sort of early, early 80s. Um, yeah. uh, after, after that, little, you know, I was 19, I think, when I got yeah. there. Yeah, so you're 19, so, you got there. And yeah. you... No, 20, I think, yeah, 20. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you met a certain Corporal Gary yes, Hearn. Yes, yes, Who exactly. then was going to yeah. be with you. And we, we obviously got a video, we got an audio with Gary as what well. A, what a great guy. Gary was, you know, so there we all are, sort of, I think, um, you know, very few of us were any other than CCF, any sort of military experience whatsoever. And there was Gary, who was sort of corporal, been in the Falcons War just, you know, just a year before um, with, I think, the Welsh Guards and, yeah. and, and as their signal detachment. Um, and just an extraordinary guy. And how useful to have him around because, oh, you know, right. he could just help us with, you know, t t tips of the trade and yeah. sort of, you know, focus on this, don't worry about that type of thing. So brilliant with Gary. And, um, and you became quite a team because you became the junior under officer, the, the, the one chosen uh, as the sort of best cadet there uh, in your platoon of 30. And he was your cadet sergeant, so your, yep. your right-hand man. Yep. And you went on to... Uh, be selected to be the sort of honour winner. So how did yeah, that all yeah. come about? What, I think by accident. I mean, it, I would love to be a fly on the wall of the sort of process of trying to select from, you know, I look back on my platoon, incredible group of people, my, the company I was in, you know, some people are still great friends like General Tom, Sir Tom Beckett and others, right. you know, right. really amazing group of people. You know, how on earth you... You pick out somebody and say, "Well, you're the best one." Um, I, I have no idea how that happened. And you've stayed in touch um, with Tom, haven't you? Very much so. What's I've got he doing Godfather. now? Well, he is now um, in the Middle East um, and is the Director General of the ICWE. I think it is the Institute for um, Security in the Middle East. Okay. Think That's tank. Right. Think. Yeah. Um, sorry, I've just butchered that for Tom. Um, <laughs> very important, very important. Um, and uh, uh, yes, yeah, so very much a godfather to the lovely Rosie uh, Beckett and, and uh, great, great, you know, we're great friends of them still. And what did you, what did you learn from your time as a cadet Santos, you know, going raw about leadership into it? When you look back, you know, what would be useful for people to listen to and go, 
okay, so that was that's quite normal for me to be worried about this or find that difficult or whatever. You know, what did you find hard? Well, I mean, we were talking about Gary uh, actually earlier on. I think where Gary helped me is I, I suddenly find myself as sort of, you know, junior under officer of the platoon and then clearly in the running for the sort of honour and given big appointments on the final exercises. And, uh, you know, so you're, you're a cadet, you know, but you're playing the company commander in a company attack and in, 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 in Volgesang in Germany. And, and I think where I probably got that a bit wrong is I sort of tried to assume a sort of the persona of some great leader. I sort of went a bit pattern, I think, <laughs> or something, you know. The ego got to you. Know, well, yes, and sort of what, you and know, what does, I thought. It does, it does, and, you know, you sort of, I, I sort of definitely tried to be something that I thought you know, sort of a leader was, you know. But they'd much. chosen you because they wanted you. Yeah. And, this is when we and that talk, was the thing where I went wrong, well, I think. Well, Paul, Paul Nansen was saying this yeah. on, on his uh, audio when I was at Santos interviewing him, that that he wants the cadets to be themselves because they, they got there by being themselves. Yes. Don't be somebody else. Correct. But I, I admit, I try to be somebody else as well. It's, yeah, it's I, an easy I definitely mistake. tried to do that. And actually, what, what one of the great services that Gary is my sort of, that sergeant sort of did for me was to say, you know, stop being a dick and be yourself, you know. Um, and I and I think um, whether I succeeded, you have to ask Gary. But, um, no, you said, you said you did. But, but I, I, he, he did me a big service because I definitely sort of watched too many war movies and sort of was something, as I say, a cross between Patton or Rob, Edward Fox on the stage, Mark yeah. Garden, you know, sort yeah. of, some sort of persona like that. Um, and as you, as you quite rightly say, the people who picked me for this role wanted me to be me. Um, I, I, but but stay with this because yeah. we also had a fascinating podcast with Alistair Kett, who's a very successful PwC partner. Right. Um, his uh, episode was just on recently, episode eight, and um, he was in the Fusiliers and saw them all go to war and come back again. But he went to university when they went to the Iraq War, well, be, uh, and uh, he learned a lot yeah. from them working for some good people. And Paul Nansen was one of those officers okay. who went. I think he's in charge of the racket platoon or something. And he learned a lot from from watching them and from how to do things. And, and you clearly had the benefit of someone like Gary who had some experience. Definitely. Yeah. And how do we take this into business now? Now you're in business and have been in business many years uh, in a consultancy. Uh, you see many different firms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alistair talked about the triangle of feeding the beast, which we'll mm-hmm. come on to in a minute, mm-hmm. theatre, mm-hmm. the, the sort of the thing like pattern yeah, 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 or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. it is, and reality, being yeah. real. Yeah. And the, the feeding the beast was the bureaucracy of jobs you have to do. You've got to feed the beast and do this. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. But there is a little bit of theatre required in business at times to get enthusiasm and rally people up. Yeah to be excited about frozen foods, as he was laughing about. Uh, and then there was the other bit about um, being really authentic and, yeah. and, and saying when you, you're not sure yeah. or, or when you need some help or whatever that is. Yeah. How would you take your experiences to, to business? Yes, yeah, so, from, so from I think, time? you know, on, on, when we did the interview, um, we talked about uh, professional services firms. Uh, and I think they... They have a, a and some brilliant books about them, um, and and you know there's a course uh, at the Harvard Business School around leading in the professional services environment. And that was the course you did. That was the course I did. And uh, you found uh, it pretty good, didn't you? Yeah, extremely useful. Um, uh, and so you have this interesting thing where you're you're sort of you're you're client facing. So you're you know as, and as a senior partner, you know you're leading 
large um, pitches um, with clients um, where you have to sort of project this sense of sort of confidence and knowledge and ability to deliver on the whatever the deliverables are, um, show, uh, de de demonstrate to the client sort of almost viscerally the team and who's going to be involved and how we will work. So the client gets this real sort of sense of confidence that you're going to deliver for them. Bear in mind that their decision to, uh, you know, to, 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 to contract with you is a career decision for them. If it goes wrong, it has big implications. Um, so you have that sort of uh, quite sort of uh, demanding role. You've then got a sort of internal role with people who may not report to you, but, but you are trying to influence to work on your projects. Um, in a matrix managed sense, and I think that's a that's a influencing and a mm -hmm. persuasive thing, and yeah. building consensus, and that takes time and effort um, uh, in a, in people's busy day to give up time to listen to you. Um, so that's a different school skill again. And then you've got the feeding the beast, you know, timesheets and all these sort yeah. of you know billing and all that sort of stuff, which is extremely tedious um but everybody has to do it and there's an element if you just sort of give it to your pa then everybody else will you know so i've always tried to sort of try to discipline myself to do it myself and yeah. and always do it in a way and you know, let people see me going to the photocopy with all my receipts for you know sell a tape to a bit of paper and so they can see i'm doing it sort of you know and so you're trying to build that sort of we're all in this together we hate feeding the beast but we have to do it as part yeah. of being a consultant you know so you again you have these different persona that you adopt for different situations and i think you know, my, my sort of looking back after we spoke last, I thought maybe I didn't get across everything, so I'm pleased to be back. You know, one of those things is about being being authentic, but being different people in different situations and, yeah. and knowing when to, 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 to adopt different tactics and different techniques of leadership yeah. um, while still being the same person, if you like. Yes, it's that, it's that authentic leadership, but yet situational leadership, because yeah. in certain situations, certain styles... Are required. Correct. Correct. Um, and, and I do think this this thing about the personas that we put on the bit of the theatre is fine. But but when have you really been authentic with people about needing support or help because you were struggling? Have you have you found a time when you've really you know, it was just, just <laughs> well, tough. I, you, you asked for help. Yes, I've learned from my wife a lot over the years. You know, and, and I think the good the secret of good marriage is the ability to to you know for for, for one's partner to be you know, that confidant. I, I remember I, 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 I was out of sync for command with, with my, my regiment and, and um, the army, I persuaded the army to send me off to Cambridge for a year to do a master, master's degree in international relations. And did you enjoy that? I, I did, I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. But there was a period in, in I think, late October, it was a one-year course, late October where sort of suddenly everything came together. You had to have read two books, you had a presentation to give, you had two essays to hand in. And I remember one night, sort of, you know, two in the morning sitting sort of in the kitchen and saying to my wife, I can't do this, I can't do this, you know. Um, and failure was definitely, would not have been an option on that. Um, and she, she's been absolutely fantastic over the years at sort of helping me through. I think, you know, when we took casualties in the army, uh, Northern Ireland, I had three soldiers killed in my company. I found that incredibly difficult. I knew them extremely well and and you know and yet you have to you know we're still on operations you know so you still got to lead the company and you can't really you know i felt certainly maybe maybe that was wrong but i certainly felt i couldn't show too much emotion that that you know 
this was a terrible experience for for all of us and and I felt you know personally extremely sort of impacted by it all and flying over to meet the families just absolutely heart heart wrenching yeah so you know though you do go through those things and uh, you know in Iraq you know obviously in combat you you remember all that and and so dealing with that dealing with those things is I think just part of being a very uh, experienced leader, you're going to go through ups and downs. You're going to have challenges. You've got to find your way of venting that. Um, venting not in, in ranting, but venting as in letting off steam and let, yeah. letting it out. Um, I, I use my I use my long suffering wife. Um, other people need to have other ways of de- you know other ways of talking to people. Um, yeah. you know, most definitely. And. Uh- in the last the last bits of time, a couple of things I want to cover. One is I'm interested in in the uh, the scenario you found yourself in in Iraq mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you were pinned down. Mm-hmm, I'd be interested. Mm-hmm. And the second one is you've got a future job as yep. the CEO, yep, yep. Uh, which you're going to shortly of the what's going to be called the Tennis and, uh, Integrity Unit or something else, another another name. But a little bit about that, yep. um, just in. Uh, in time, let's talk a bit about Iraq. So there, you were commanding officer of mm-hmm. the Argyles mm-hmm. in the second Iraq War, was it? Yes, in, in, in kind of keep the peace. Correct. First, first Shia uprising, uh, spring two thousand and four. Um, what happened? What well, well you know, bizarrely, I mean, it was, it's one of those amazing things. It sort of essentially we had support from the population one day and not the next. And if you remember, the Americans um, raided and attempted to. Uh, take action against Muqtana al-Sadr and we had a sort of Shia uprising in the south as a consequence of that and you went from sort of a relatively benign environment to well, one minute to the next minute everybody is trying to kill you <laughs> which was a bit, of a, a bit of a shock and I was going from A to B with my rover group uh, in, Alam, uh, in Alamara and um, uh, the, the uh, PWRR were on the first day of their handover and, and one of their familiarisation patrols got ambushed um, and I think James Knight was in PWRR as a platoon commander. Correct. Johnson Bahari, one of EC. I jumped into the back of Johnson Bahari's um, uh, uh, warrior to get out get of the out. situation. On the time he got his VC. And he got a VC for that. And I think there was another of another sort of uh, incident uh, contributed to that citation. But no, we went. We, we were going for A to B. A patrol got ambushed. We went to help them. We in turn got pinned down. Um, and, and fought a thing called the Battle of Yellow Three for a while, um, sounds, and, sounds and cool. then eventually the cavalry arrived, and and and, and uh, we managed who rescued to get you? Was it the Warriors? PWRK, the Warriors came. Only the Warriors were going to get it. You were in Landro. We were in Landro. It was absolutely. You must useless. have been really vulnerable. Oh, totally. And and they were just the wrong vehicle at that. You know, one day they were fine, the next day they were the wrong thing to have. And we've got leaders listening who've never been in the military. So so there you were with you know. All sorts of things going on. What were the lessons? If there was a, a lesson you'd take from there to, to others who are just in day job. So, so there's a very old army adage, which is the person in contact is in charge. And and uh, and I'd learned enough by that stage to realise that the fact that I was wearing the rank I was wearing is absolutely irrelevant to the situation we're in. So so Dan Mills, who wrote a famous book about this called Sniper One, right. Dan Mills was the patrol commander. Uh, and as I went in with my room, he's a he's sergeant at that wow. point. Yeah. As, I, as we went in um, to help him, uh, they'd taken casualties, so there's a casualty to deal with, and vehicles on fire, and there's you know been surrounded and so on. Um, you know, saying to Dan, "How can we help you?" 
Yeah. Uh, and he said, you're, you're a colonel. And I said, yeah, it doesn't matter. You, you know, what's going on? How can we help? Um, and he writes quite funny about that. He's quite funny about what that. What does he, he describe you as? Well, he sort of says this, this sort of, his book, it's very books in the first chapter. He says, this posh bloke turned up <laughs> with the convivial tone of helping somebody who's got a flat tire on the side of the M4. <laughs> <laughs> and I maybe wasn't that calm, but... Um, but that was my approach, rather than just steam and say, right, stand back, I'm in charge. You yeah. know, didn't know what had happened, really. You just see smoke and burning vehicles and, and somebody's, let's say somebody was injured. How many were against you and, and him? It's difficult to say because, you know, a, a lot of the way that those type of things take place is people yeah. reach over a wall with an AK and they're, they're firing, not firing accurately. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but we were we enough that we didn't want to break cover, if I yeah. can put it that way. Yeah, okay. Um, and certainly, not, and, and, and they, the, you know, the, the warriors, as we drove out with Johnson Parry driving, I think the stories he had to have his hatch open for some reason. You could hear the RPGs banging, you know, yeah. on the side of the vehicle. And he got the Victoria Cross, Correct. but he also yeah. got incredibly badly injured, didn't he? Yes, I think that must have been on the second, uh, second event because in that event we got back and he was driving. I, of course, I didn't know at the time that the driver of the vehicle was going to subsequently be awarded VC. All I remember was hearing all the, I was in the back, hearing all the RPGs striking the side, thinking, wow, we are, we are, you know, we are yeah. being hit hard. Yeah. But they all explode and they don't penetrate. So it's just like somebody, a very big hammer, sort of hammering on your vehicle. Yeah. And you, you, know, you know what it is. But God didn't come through. You're pretty safe inside, you know. Yeah. Uh, thank God perhaps you might have been in the procurement team that bought the Yes, the well, a big, big sort of thanks to them, I would yeah. say. <laughs> okay. And, and yeah. finally, yep. um, you just about to head off um, to become a CEO. Yeah. Um, lovely, lovely role to have. Um, in a short bit of time, just give us a bit of a taste of what's this going to be about. Yes, yeah, so, so uh, 15 years of Catoris, um coming to an end, fantastic time. I'm, I've got my dining me out tonight. Um, uh, and and as, as you may know, I've been running our global sports practice for the last period. Um, and, and through some headhunters, the opportunity came up to uh, to, to be the first chief executive of a new, essentially what will essentially be a new organization in global tennis, looking after the integrity of tennis, professional tennis globally. Um, so uh, match fixing, uh, court siding, um, drug abuse and so on. So um, bringing all the sort of constituent parts at the moment, sort of prosecutory function and various other things, uh, training and awareness and prevention, bringing all that together into a sort of New organised independent legal entity um, uh, to, to to really take that forward and fantastic board, um, brilliant chief uh, chair and and very privileged and excited to be the first CEO. Great. And so, in the final tip yep. that you leave uh, to the listeners, uh, leadership tip that you might be applying yourself as you yeah. step in as a brand new CEO. Yeah. Uh, what would be your top tip that you want to apply? Yeah. So, so we talked on the last one about sort of you know treating people, leading people, managing resources was my tip last time, yeah. and, and I think developing that would be. Trying to put yourself in a situation of, you know, so I'm thinking about what, 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 what you know, I'm going to meet the new team um, soon. What would they expect to hear from me? A lot of change going on, a lot of uncertainty. Um, so what, what can I say? How can I put it across to them, whatever my message is, in a way that, you know, is empathetic to the situation they're in? Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I try, you know, with clients, you would try and say, okay, what is our, you know, in, in consulting, what is our win theme with this client? What does this client want to hear from us? What's going to really resonate with them? So I think, you know, yes, lead people, but also sort of try and put yourself in a position to understand what, what do they expect from their leaders at this moment? Um, and can you be authentic to yourself, but give them what they're looking for? Yeah. Um, and that's what I try to do. Certainly what I'm going to try and do with my new role in tennis. Brilliant. Johnny, once again, many thanks. Not Good luck all. with the new role. Thank and you very much, John. Thanks for your time. Not at all. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.